If you'll turn in your Bibles, we are starting a new series. And it is going to be one that I hope you'll forgive me. We'll be slow, but I like to relish this book, frankly. It is a book I've worked on for a long time and uh, never tire of reading its uh, blessed words. But turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. We will only be reading the first two verses, uh, which will be our sermon text now. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the end of the Lord's word in reading. We pray that you will attend to it carefully. We pray, O Lord, that you would bless us. We are we're in a beginning of a book that's a favorite. This is the beginning of an evening service. We're going to take it slow. But these two verses are easy to overlook when you're reading Ephesians. How many times have you opened an epistle like this, a letter that Paul writes to a church, and you've read the addressing and the opening, and you've just kind of jumped to verse 3, or the next few verses. In uh, Romans, it actually kind of extends out until verse 7, but that's kind of unusual. Most of, of Paul's books just open this briefly at the beginning, and then he gets into some really important uh, doctrine, or he reports on his prayers for the saints, and they're rich uh, and instructive for us. But we kind of pass over this, uh, and I was uh, joking with folks today that I was simply going to preach on Paul. We'll just do one word in the in the epistle, but uh, I actually was I was teaching in a Bible study last Thursday, and we had uh, visitors uh, visit our Bible study, which is encouraging. But the lady said she heard a sermon from a prominent teacher on uh, on this book, and he just preached on Paul. And I'm I'm thinking, I don't know how I would do that. <laughs> how many? It 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 seems to me that. What you really need and what you deserve is for me to uh, stick to the text of Scripture. If I were to teach, you know, if I were to preach on Paul, I would be going all over the place, and uh, it might be scriptural, but not this text. So that is our design, is that you, uh, you can see what's unfolding from this text, because your faith has to be rooted in Scripture not in uh, ideas that I might think of. Uh, some word might remind me of something, and then I tell stories or I you know, tell other things that are going on, and, and then we just close. I mean, that's, but that's, to me, not what you deserve as Christians. You need the Word of God. This is the power for our life. So we're going to work on this text, and this is, it turns out, a very powerful text this is a text that's easy to overlook, but actually has a lot of powerful statements and implications for us in this. 
Um, and it opens really here with Paul saying, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now, when I was a young Christian, I used to read Paul and think he was kind of arrogant. Uh, he talks about himself a lot, particularly in the, in the Second Corinthians, for example. He's always defending himself. He, he seems to talk about his calling as an apostle a lot and defend his apostolic calling. Um, and I thought he was a little full of himself. But brothers and sisters, uh, when I became more mature, frankly, uh, that was a childish thinking as a childish Christian, as it were. When I became more mature, I realized Paul is saying those things for us, not for himself. He's not exalting himself. He's persuading us that his calling is for our benefit, not his own. This is why he stresses that, so that you would be fully convinced that your inheritance in the kingdom of God didn't originate from Paul. You see, once he says an apostle, he's saying, I was sent to you. I am an apostle. An apostle is someone who is sent with a message. Uh, it's even clearer with another word called a herald, uh, where we get the name herald. And a herald is another kind of messenger. But an apostle is something like an emissary. And it's the f nature of emissaries that they don't originate their own mission and work. They're sent by a governing body or somebody. In this case, it's the king. It's, notice what he says, an apostle of Christ Jesus. He has been selected by Christ Jesus and sent out by the Lord Jesus to the Gentile world. Uh, and, and notice what he says, by the will of God. So this was part of God's grand design for the world, to send his son into the world to accomplish our salvation and then ascend, be raised from the dead, and ascend to his right hand, the throne of power, where he now rules supreme, but he is unseen by us. So if you want to see the effect of his rule, you look at the people he has sent. And in this instance, he has sent Paul to us. He specially selected Paul who, in a sense, is the most unlikely candidate for Christ to send because he was a persecutor of Christ's people. He was a man who had blood on his hands. He was, in effect, a murderer. And Christ chose him <laughs> to benefit the very people he'd been murdering to benefit the church, the very people he'd been persecuting. He now chose him by the will of God. So this was, this was a man who had been selected from birth to do this, and he didn't know until, it ha until that call came. And when that call comes, you actually see this in the book of Acts. It's pretty spectacular. If you read the book of Acts, and here's, here's something that you need to pay attention to, 
when you're reading the Bible, if something's repeated, pay attention to it because it's, it's repeated, so you, it's emphasized. And the only thing repeated in the book of Acts three times is the calling of Paul on the road to Damascus. There's three accounts of it. The original account, then it's re Paul recounts it, Paul recounts it. It's recounted two more times. So it kind of dominates the book of Acts, Paul's calling to the Gentiles. Because Jesus had said, this word must go out from Jerusalem to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Well, the book of Acts begins in Jerusalem, goes to Samaria, and then who is it who's at the ends of the earth, at the end of the book of Acts. Well, the book of Acts ends with Paul proclaiming the kingdom of God in Christ Jesus in Rome. So he's the man who, you know, carried on the mission. Then it goes out from there. It doesn't stop with Rome. It keeps going throughout Europe. It goes over to Asia. It goes out down to Africa. It goes to other, uh, you know, the other Middle Eastern areas. It just spreads out. Turkey. This is a play. This is a message that has a life of its own, and it's because Christ has continued to call men to proclaim His word even today. This is this is why you have a pastor is to proclaim the Word of God to you, to teach the Scripture to you as emissaries of Christ. And then you become emissaries as a general officers in the church for your neighbors. You can bring the Word of God to them. Sometimes it's just, just that. It's just a word or a brief message. And the very easiest form of evangelism, invite your neighbors to church. Very easy. Uh, bring them bring them here where they will hear the word and meet the people of God who are by their uh, loveliness will attract people into the kingdom of God this is this is the nature of of your ministry and Paul started this out he's like at the fountainhead of this this was not a human designed project this comes from Christ by the will of God and Paul wants you to know that. Now here he just states it. So he doesn't develop it here. However, he's going to do that. As Ephesians unfolds, particularly in chapter 3, he's going to give us quite a long little section where he'll talk about this. So I'm preparing you for down the road when we will address that in the uh, uh, course of our work through Ephesians. Now, this is, this is an epistle where it then says to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. There's a number of things here that you need to know. You might have a footnote in your Bible where it points out that in Ephesus is not in all of our manuscripts, our early copies, handwritten copies of the New Testament. There's one in particular where it's missing. It's actually found in a margin of another important manuscript uh, in small letters where somebody's obviously written it in as a correction. But the main manuscript, the very earliest one we have, which is it's roughly around 200 AD, this, this copy of Paul's letters. Uh, 
and it's missing in Ephesus. Although, interestingly, it has a heading that says, to the Ephesians. So, the same manuscript says, to the Ephesians. Then at the end of it, it says, to the Ephesians. You know, so it's, it's not like it's a mystery that, they, that the copyist thinks it's to the Ephesians. But the fact that in Ephesus is missing, and that particular manuscript has thrown people off. Well, I, I have this to say about that. <laughs> the same thing happens to Romans. There's actually a manuscript in the book of Romans where it says to, the, to those who are in Rome, and in, in Rome is missing as well. Uh, so this sometimes happens. But let's go back to this one manuscript that around 200 AD. Uh, now, I've read this thing, uh, and it's, it's a fascinating read uh, because you can see the evidence of the copyist. So this is a man sitting in a dark room copying the New Testament by hand with a reed pen. He's dipping ink and he's copying. He's sitting, by the way, he's sitting on the ground and writing in his lap. They didn't have, they didn't use tables back then. Uh, so he's writing this in his lap and he's looking at a manuscript on the ground and kind of balancing everything. And then he's copying this. And you can see when he dips his pen, or his pen gets dull and he sharpens it, because he lifts his pen and he sharpens it, and then he forgets to write something. <laughs> so you're looking at this going, oh, okay, well, he just doped off. All right, he's human, all right? So once you start seeing this stuff enough and, and studying it, and people have studied it, and I've, I've looked at quite a bit of this, actually, uh, and you're looking and saying, oh, okay, it's, it's a mistake that just happens. Because, interestingly, the same scribe, the same copyist, leaves out 12 words in verse 3. And it's just a jumble. Now, don't worry. <laughs> We've got multiple thousands of copies of the New Testament handwritten, and we know exactly what Paul wrote. All right? It's not a mystery once you start studying this stuff and you can actually look at it and say, okay, I understand this. This is what happened. And you can actually see times when, when a copyist will make a mistake and you know why they did it. There's the same word at the end of a line and then, and then the, it starts that same word in the next line and he just skipped over it. It's just the way our eye works. If you want to study this, here's what you do. Sit down and write out Ephesians by hand and count how many mistakes you make. Okay? Even with as smart and wonderful you are and great eyesight, I bet you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to make the same kind of mistakes this guy did. Okay? When you get hungry, when you get a little sleepy, when the light's not so good, because he might have been writing later in the day and the light wasn't so good. Furthermore, going back to our point, to the saints who are in Ephesus, if you leave out in Ephesus, the construction here is normal, but if you leave it out, it's nonsense. Now our translators say, no, and the commentators, um, 
Not all commentators on Ephesians are bad, by the way. (laughs) Uh, But many commentators will say, no, what it says is to the saints who are also faithful. The problem is, it's not what it actually says if you drop in Ephesus. What it would actually say say is this. To the saints who exist and are faithful. To the saints who have being. Now, this is exactly, this is not just my opinion. There's an early church father by the name of Origen who says exactly that in his commentary on this. He says, oh, well, obviously... In the case of Ephesians, we find the phrase, to the saints who are. We ask what the phrase, who are, can mean. And that's a good question. What can it mean? It's nonsense. If it's not redundant when added to the saints. Consider then, if not as in Exodus, he who utters the words, he who is, to Moses, speaks his own name to those who participate in the one who is, become those who are called, as it were, from not being into being. So if in Ephesus is not there, it means people who are in being, who have being, who exist. Of course we exist. This is just nonsense. So here's here's the point. That early manuscript where in Ephesus is left out is just, it's just a mistake that you find, you correct it, and you move on with all the thousands of manuscripts we have that read in Ephesus here. It's just not a problem. Now, I bring this up, brothers and sisters, because sometimes there are people who attack the scriptures by saying, oh, look at all these mistakes you find in scriptures. Early in my Christian career, I made it my goal to defend the Scripture. And this is, the, this is part of the outcome of this. I wanted to investigate that and see if Scripture was actually untrustworthy or not. And what you do is you start pursuing this. You start looking at ancient manuscripts. You start studying this thing, which I've done over the course of my career as a New Testament professor. And I, ha- I, can, I can assure you, we know what the text of Scripture is without really any serious doubt. And there is so much redundancy in Scripture and all. We're not really in any doubt. So I bring this up, this technical stuff. And by the way, I won't be doing this technical stuff that much anymore. Late in the day, you don't need this. But in this case, I want you to be assured the Word of God is preserved for you. Deuteronomy 29.29 should be a memory verse. The word of the Lord is written for us and for our instruction. It is, it is our text. Let me read that, that verse for you. The hidden things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. So the secret things belong to the Lord our God. They're His. But the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever. This scripture belongs to you and to your children. And the Lord preserves this for you. So you are the people addressed, the saints who are in Ephesus, and who are 
faithful in Christ. Faithful here means believers. Because saints are believers. They're, they're, of course, is this prominent church in the world that takes saints to be special people. Only a few chosen people who have certain miraculous qualifications. That's not Paul's definition of saints. His definition of the saints are you. You who believe in Christ Jesus are a saint. You are sacred. This is a term that can also be rendered sacred. You belong to the Lord as his sacred, holy people. This is, this is what he means by that. It's not that you have some sort of special powers. Well, you do. You have eternal life uh, hidden in you. But this is, this is the uh, identity of you as sacred people belonging to the Lord. And that's, that's your heritage from the Lord, that he has consecrated you to be sacred in his sights. And now we get really the capstone of all of this, verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is called the apostolic benediction. It's interesting that the apostles do this. This is typical of the apostles' letters. Grace and peace be yours from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If you read Peter, for example, 1 Peter, he says basically the same thing. If you read Paul... He says basically the same thing with a few, just a little variety here and there. But it's, it opens almost always with this word grace. Now the way you normally open a letter, it's translated greetings. It's sort of like saying, dear Joe, dear Mary, on a letter. Do we have letters anymore? People write pieces of paper and send it across the world to one another anymore. Well, if you, if you ever were to have a letter and it were to arrive in the mail for you from somebody you know, it would open, dear, and then your name, of course. Well, that's, what it, that's how people normally address one another. Greetings. And then they would say things like, I'm praying for your health. Interesting, Paul does mention his prayers for these people later on. Uh, and we have these letters from the ancient world. You can read them. They've been dug up in Egypt. There, there are hundreds of these things you can read very easily. Uh, and we know what it looks like. But the word for greetings is, sounds sort of like grace. <laughs> so the apostles have changed greetings, and they prefer to say grace to you. Now, here's why they do that. This is an apostolic blessing upon the readers. This is the salutation. Have you, have you ever wondered why the minister at the beginning of a worship service quotes these words? Here's why. It is a salutation from the Lord. Because notice the name that is conveyed here. Notice Paul doesn't say, Greetings to you from me. He's already identified himself, but he's not the source of grace and peace. The, the source of grace and peace 
is God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ in this instance. And so Paul is not praying this. He is conveying it as an apostle sent from Christ to convey to you the blessing of God, grace and peace. And peace here means the state of peace that Christ has brought. He is our peace, we will read later in Ephesians. So brothers and sisters, when you come to worship and you receive the the opening salutation, grace be yours and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, don't take it as a prayer that God may or may not answer. It is actually an address to you from God, conveying to you his grace and peace. You've entered into the presence of God. You need, to, you need to have him speak to you a word of grace and peace. Because you come in dusty and beat up. Sometimes your sins are, are in your mind. And when you come into the presence of God, you need to hear a favorable word from him. And that's how worship with God opens, through Christ Jesus. Grace be yours, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You can be assured from that word that God is extending his grace to you and his peace. You believe that because it is true. You're not making it true by believing it. You believe it because it is true. It's, it's a man sent for that purpose, to convey to you a word from the Lord so you know You are in the presence of God and your prayers are now heard, your praise to him, your confession of sin, your contrite heart. You now know in the presence of God, he hears you and he is favorable to you because you've approached the throne of grace and peace through Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, Your grace is beyond all understanding. Your peace that you give us is our only hope. We have no peace in the world. Our Lord Jesus told us that. The world doesn't offer us peace. It offers us conflict. It offers us hatred all around us. And yet in here, we have peace in your presence. We pray that this peace may multiply that we would be people of peace, extending the grace of Christ, words of grace to one another. We pray these things, Lord, because you have initiated it and giving us this hope in Christ Jesus our Lord. We thank you in his name. Amen.